Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 554th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writers over at the Red Bull News Network. But don't forget, this show will still be discussed, and the discussion will always be on American soccer. Uh, apologies for last week. Uh, apparently, the headset that I have worked been using for these last many, many years uh, died on me. The microphone died on me, and that's why you were not able to hear my intro monologue as well as uh, the beginning of the interview with uh, uh Mr. Ray Samora, and that's this is the problem when you are producing a show and that you do not have a team of uh, you know production staff to inform you. You have a microphone problem. So uh, thank goodness for a brand new headset, and thank goodness I'm able to discuss with you. The tonight's topics that you can finally hear me and that everything will be done uh, in a correct way. So what I'm going to do, because I want to be fair, um, I want to talk about the intro monologue I prepared last Monday, and I want to redo it this Monday because it did not get on the recording during the live broadcast of the show last week. So I want to get back to that. And I think it's very simple to say that for those of us that are screaming about players who are basically, you know, they got to go to Europe, they have to be in Europe, you know, MLS is not worth the time. Why are we having this? Why are we having that? But MLS is needed to start these careers of these young and -and up-and-coming American players who are doing wonderful things currently in Europe. And if you've watched the match this past Sunday where Leeds took out Chelsea by a final of three goals to nil, Brendan Aronson started off in the Philadelphia Union Academy. Tyler Adams, who also started off in the New York Red Bull Academy, managed by Jesse Marsh, not just the New York Red Bulls, not just Red Bull Leipzig, but also now with Leeds United in the Premier League of England. What we have seen from the national team, with all these wonderful players, all these wonderful American players, 
going abroad, being created in our academies with all these MLS teams, going to play in England, Germany, Spain, and Italy, Scotland, France, everywhere. It is a in World Cup qualifying, winning the, the inaugural CONCACAF Nations League, winning the CONCACAF Gold Cup, defeating Mexico twice in extra time was just absolutely brilliant. And who's watching this besides Don Garber? Who is watching this besides the U.S. Soccer Federation? Our rivals south of the border, it's not just the FMF, the Federation of Mexican Football. It is also the Liga MX president in Mikhail Ariola as he gave his thoughts to both Sebastian Salazar and Hercules Gomez on what is happening with MLS and Liga MX. And while I will agree, and I will also admit that while the rosters, the amount of money that's coming in, and there is not so much restrictions on bringing in players or at least developing players to play domestically in Mexico. They are alarmed at what is going on at Major League Soccer. They are alarmed about what they are witnessing because right now, Mikel Ariola is working day and night to fix a solution that right now MLS is starting to gain an advantage on. These are his comments interviewed by both Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Zalazar during the League's Cup semifinals that was played at SoFi Stadium between LA Galaxy, Club America, Chivas versus LAFC. Pumas losing to the Sounders in the CONCACAF Champions League hurts a lot. Liga MX clubs are committed to win the CCL. They are committed to win the League's Cup, which will be officially real next year. We want to increase the level of investment in our clubs just as the just as the same as in Major League Soccer. And then the question opposed to him was, is Mexico falling behind MLS? And once again, Mr. Mikel Ariola's comments, I am worried and I have been working because the level of interest of, excuse me, because the level of investment of MLS has increased to 500 to 600% in two years. We want that kind of investment because if we don't do that, we will lose in the following five years. 
The USA has 220 players in Europe while we keep our players here in Mexico. We have only 35 abroad. We want the League's Cup to show our players and to broadcast it in over 100 countries. So basically, what does that mean, ladies and gentlemen? It means that Major League Soccer, while... Yes, there are still certain things that still need to happen for those of you that believe that or those who think that we are not a proper football league because there is no promotion relegation. And I understand that. And I still believe that that should still be still, you know, that should still be implemented. And. And ending payments to facilities that these clubs do not own. As we have seen with the situation with the Los Angeles Galaxy and Orange County SC. But one thing is for sure. Liga MX and the FMF. Oh, I don't know about the FMF. I haven't heard any comments from them, but at least Liga MX is worried. Liga MX is now officially worried because they are seeing the talent growing here in the United States. And it's not just dual citizens, parents coming over from Mexico to have a better life in the United States. But it's also the talent that is growing that has been basically missing for such a long period of time now coming to fruition. When you talk about this past under-20 CONCACAF championship tournament where our USA players not only won the thing, 95% of the roster have come from the academies of Major League Soccer. The majority of it, probably about three to four players are coming from overseas, playing abroad. But the majority of these players are playing in MLS. And what does that mean? What is the reality that we are seeing. We're seeing Major League Soccer doing a job that we were all hoping would happen. League is still young. And sometimes I feel the pressure push all our leagues into a situation where we're probably not ready for that yet. And once again, I'm not saying I don't want it. I've never said I don't want promotion relegation. I've never said that. I want it to come. But it has to make sense to implement that mechanism. And when I say that mechanism, I'm talking about the sporting merit of the game. What I want and what people need to understand. And once again, I will say this till I'm blue in the face. Each club in each professional league 
must build their own stadium. People need to understand. This is the only way that these clubs are going to survive financially and once we get to that once we get there once every professional club in every professional division of US soccer gets there building their own stadiums ladies and gentlemen that's when we have made it and that's when only when promotion relegation should be brought in that situation between the LA Galaxy, the city government of Irvine, and Orange County SC, along with Cal United Strikers in the NISA League, if that doesn't show you, we still have dangers here, then we have already lost the plot. And for those of you begging for ProRail now, and I'm not saying you, you shouldn't be celebrating it. I'm not saying you shouldn't continue your crusade. I do agree with you, but if you don't see what's plainly in front of you, if you don't see what's plainly in front of you, it, we're all going to lose. But just remember this. And now we have a problem with some of those that have now gravitated towards, I don't want a 28-year-old MLS lifer being on the national team because our players in Europe should be on the national team. No. Whoever the manager wants for the men's national team to play those players will play. This is not about defending Major League Soccer. Let's just get this straight out of the way here. I'm not defending Major League Soccer when it comes to the rosters of the U.S. men's national team. I have no control over it. I do not pick the players to be on the national team. The head coach of the national team does that. And to see the made-up lies by these so-called men's national team supporters, and it is a downright lie, it is, to claim that Musa and Aronson and Weya have to basically scratch and claw to get their spots on the national team is absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. You're not watching what's been going on. In a normal international week for official matches, when it is World Cup qualifying or friendlies, it is always two matches per week, not three. Because of the pandemic, it forced FIFA and CONCACAF to basically scrunch in three matches in a week. So what does that mean? 
it means that our players had to have their minutes managed. And if you don't understand that, then you're not a true fan of the sport. And you're not paying attention to what's in front of you. All you want is a narrative. And when that narrative goes haywire, whose fault is it? Well, it's not my fault. It's not Berhalter's fault. It's your fault. Because then you try to paint certain players in MLS as a racist. And that is the problem we have. about those clubs, those amateur sides here are going to get ready to qualify for the 107th, uh, excuse me, 107 clubs of, in the amateur levels getting ready to qualify for the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. First things first is, of course, it's all recorded interviews. Uh, the radio analyst of Atlanta United for 92.9 FM, the game in Atlanta, Georgia, the one and only Jason Longshore and the current level of Atlanta United. Here is that interview right now. Daniel Feuerstein here, and welcome back to the American Soccer Show. Of course, this would not be an American Soccer Show without talking about Atlanta United to join me for that. 92.9 FM, the games. Atlanta United analyst on the radio, the one and only Jason Longshore joins me. Jay, how are you, and I hope you're doing well. Doing well. How about you? Doing very good. Everything's going well so far with me. And, you know, obviously when Atlanta United came into MLS like gangbusters. Obviously, you know, the moves they made to bring in high-quality players, uh, you know, the best manager in South America and Tata Martino, and, of course, an MLS Cup Championship, an Open Cup Championship, a Campeones Cup Championship. Everything's going well, you know, in, in this uh, wonderful club in uh, the Peach State. And now they look to be, shall I say, not normal? Yeah, it's crazy when you come in and you start a franchise, start a club, and you have so much success early on. And then things change. And, I mean, you can, we can do the timeline here. You know, 2017, get to the playoffs the first year, get bounced out on penalties. 2018, you win it all. 2019, you get back to the Eastern Conference final with a new manager and Frank DeBoer. You win the Open Cup. You win the Campeones Cup. 19's a successful year. You go into 20. You get out of the first round of CONCACAF Champions League. And then you go to Nashville on opening day in MLS, and you're star forward and one of the best goal scorers the league's ever seen tears his ACL, Joseph Martinez. Then you have COVID hit and everything's shutting down and everything gets crazy. MLS is back and Frank DeBoer doesn't make it back to Atlanta after that. Struggling the rest of 2020 with all the stops and starts. Don't get to the playoffs, have a chance on the final day, but you don't get in. 21, you're expecting Joseph Martinez to be something like the Joseph Martinez of old. But we didn't know at that time how difficult the recovery process was for him in 2020. We didn't know all the complications at the beginning of 2021. What we did know coming into 2021 was the excitement level nationwide and honestly worldwide of Gabriel Heinzig coming to town and one of the most promising young managers out of South America. It didn't work. It didn't fit. He didn't fit. 
I don't think he adapted to the league very well in the way that MLS operates versus other leagues in the world. Made the change, and I think it was a great one to Gonzalo Pineda. In the second half of last season, Atlanta United was right there with New England and others as one of the best teams in MLS. Get to the playoffs, um, finish on the same number of points as the team that ended up winning it all, by the way, in NYC, who beat you in the first round. Then this year has been the craziest ride with injuries that I've ever seen. It's different to me than what Toronto dealt with in 2018 with all of their injuries at the center back position. Um, it's different than what Liverpool dealt with what a couple of years ago when they had all the, the center back injuries because it's been the whole spine of the team. You know, Brad Gazan, captain, out, Achilles. Miles Robinson, best center back in the league, arguably. Achilles, out most of the season. Uh, Santiago Sosa started eight games recovering from off-season surgery and then complications arising from that. You bring in Osvaldo Alonso to, to get you to Santi Sosa being healthy, ACL, done early in the year, played five games. Joseph Martinez has to have a follow-up procedure. He's out for a long period of time. And you haven't been able to get the continuity under Gonzalo Pineda that he had the second half of last year. And you're struggling right now to get into the postseason. And these games are all so crazy in terms of ups and downs and back and forth because you're not as strong as, as you wanted to be coming into the year defensively. So this team's conceding some goals that they don't need to concede. And the attack at times has misfired as you're trying to find how you get the goals without Joseph being at Joseph's previous level, getting Ronaldo Cisneros in there, trying to get the best out of Luis Araujo and trying to have Tiago Almada continue to grow into the playmaker that we're seeing him grow into. It's been a work in progress all year because of the injuries, and it's just it's been a wild ride, such a roller coaster this season. You know, i got to say, at the same time, you know, you lose Miguel Almiron in the transfer to Newcastle United. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Eric Remedy. Uh, you have uh, so many great young South American players. You bring in a player like Ezekiel Barco, who's now no longer there. I mean, I believe he got transferred back to South America, to Argentina, to River Plate, I believe. He's on loan at River. Right? He's on loan at River right now? Okay. But, yeah. but still, though, you got a team where, you know, you've got to hope and pray as the opposition to get points off of them when they're basically steamrolling the majority of the league. And now it's like, including the injuries, like you've said, it's like there's issues now all over the place. And now the president of the club in Darren Eels has gone back to England to be at Newcastle. Uh, I mean, where does this all lead? And and what is the future of Atlanta United, even though you still have Josef Martinez? The future is Arthur Blank is going to continue to invest to have a winning club and have a top club. And that's never going to wane under his ownership. It's something that he said day one when the team was announced that he would invest to the maximum levels to win. And he has. And you do have to get that presidential hire right. It's a different job than it was when Darren Eels walked in the door. Um, when Darren walked in, you didn't have a team name. You were two and a half years from playing your first game. 
because he came in very early, and that's one of the, the things that made Atlanta successful was Darren and, you know, the team being built behind the scenes very early, not waiting until the last minute as we've seen so many new clubs come in and do. But now it's a different job. You're not building it. You are maintaining it because of the work that, that Darren Ailes did to build this club and set standards and set expectations. I don't think there's many people like Darren in the world, in the world of football. Um, I haven't met many personally through my experiences. The really special individual, and he was the, the perfect hire to build it from scratch. But now it's a different set of responsibilities that I think you're looking for. And that's, a, that's obviously a huge hire. You look at the roster for next season, you're expecting to get Brad Gazan back. Um, he's under contract. He's actually done really well with his recovery. They're starting to release some, some video synopsis of, of all the work that he's doing. Um, great to see him you know, active and, and, and getting back to where you know, he can come back to the field next year. Miles Robinson, you expect him back next year. Those two moves, you take this year's roster and you add those two players, that's adding two all-star slash national team level players to your roster. You talk about moves in an offseason, those are the kind of moves you normally have to make from an external perspective. Atlanta will be doing that internally. Big question up top. And, and look, the question I think long-term with, with Joseph Martinez is going to be, what is he at this stage of his career after the knee injury? You know, can he play like he did in 2017, 18, and 19? Or is he a different kind of forward after the injury? Um, we're seeing more playmaking from him. He's dropping into the pocket a little bit more and, and helping, you know, combine with others and set others up. Is that who he is going forward? Or, you know, getting a little bit further away from the surgery and the follow-up procedures, does he get back to a forward who stretches the field and makes those runs in behind and it opens the game up that way? I don't really have an answer to that yet, and I don't know. And that's going to be a big thing for Gonzalo Pineda as you finish out this season and figure out how to get points and try to get into the postseason, and he has a strong belief that his team can get back in there. But also thinking about next year and how you build it, do you have to maybe tweak the game model a little bit if Joseph Martinez is your number nine because he's a different Joseph Martinez now? Or will he get back to what he was before? That's the great unknown. That is the great unknown, and we'll see what happens uh, somewhere down the road. Obviously, for the very first time, sporting director Carlos Bocanegra has been hearing grumblings and rumblings from the supporters and all the fans in Atlanta of how, I guess, how his job has not been uh, successful in their eyes. I mean, is this a lull that Bocanegra can get out of? And at the same time, do you think his job is in jeopardy? I don't think his job is in jeopardy. Um, he was extended late last year. Um, obviously, anytime you have a change as the president of the club, things change. And, and that part, again, is another unknown. We just don't know yet. But I think the grumbling about Carlos's work is entirely wrong. It's just misdirected. You know, as well as anybody who follows this league on a regular basis, in a salary cap league, when you build a winner and hit on so many good cap-friendly contracts early on, whether it's out of the draft, 
whether it's a young player who overproduces and you get it a good salary number, small transfer fee, those kinds of things. When contracts come up, players expect more money. And in a cap league, that means you can't keep everybody. And that's what happens when you build a team that Atlanta United did really in the first three years. You hit on some great value to make that team work with the cap restrictions that you had. Contracts come up, people want to get paid, you can't pay them all. And you've got to then make adjustments. I think these past couple of years, like we talked about at the beginning, you've had some awful luck with injuries. You know, anybody who I think is, is trying to take a shot at Carlos about Gabriel Heinze uh, needs to look back at the reaction to that hire that was universally acclaimed. Everyone was excited about that hire. And it didn't work out, mainly down to Gabriel Heinze. You know, it's, that's not a Carlos thing. You can't celebrate the hire and then say, oh, you shouldn't have hired him. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's, that's not playing fair. So, and again, this roster coming into the season, this to me in 2022 if everybody is healthy this is a roster that is contending to win the supporter shield it's not the roster that was built that we're seeing right now because of all the injuries and all the absences that you've had this year you've had one starter penciled in for the season that has been available outside of suspension for every game in Allen Franco that's that's it everybody else that was set to be a starter this year has missed time due to injury or Thiago Almada coming in and visas at the very beginning, getting him into the team. That's crazy. <laughs> and that, that's what can happen in this league. You can't keep everybody. And also, when you start to have injuries in a cap league, you're severely restricted. It's, it's not like I mentioned Liverpool from a couple of years ago when they finished fourth in the Premier League. And they were injury crisis after injury crisis. But how much more resources did they have? How much more could they spend than teams 5 through 20 in the Premier League? You don't have that in MLS. You have injuries. You're going to struggle. You're going to have problems. And that's what we're seeing up front with Atlanta United. I think Carlos has, has done a very good job of building this club, again, from scratch. He's hit on so many big signings and developed so many players internally, something that gets really overlooked. George Bello has already gone on to Germany. Caleb Wiley at 17 is playing significant minutes this year and done very well with it. George Campbell at, at 21 has played significant minutes. You've got to continue to develop all of that to have a winning club, and you've got to have some luck on the injury front. Yep, you really do, and uh... Unfortunately, it looks like 2022 is going to be a throwout year, and we'll have to wait and see what 2023 looks like. Jay, thank you very much for your time. This is Jason Longshore from 92.9 FM, The Game, a radio analyst of Atlanta United, for joining me tonight. Thanks a lot, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you again. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Jason Longshore from 92.9 FM, The Game. Uh, radio analyst for Atlanta United Games, and there is his assessment of the club. Up next, had a very strange coaching situation with the Oakland Roots, their head coach, basically properly, and uh, going to Phoenix Rising, and of course, uh, that situation has now officially been cleared, and it has happened. So 
without any further ado, here's the other recorded conversation with uh, this gentleman from the OaklandRootsBlog.com. This is Mr. Jonathan Como. So here is that interview, recorded interview, right now. Once again, Daniel Feuerstein here, the American Soccer Show. We delve now back into USL Championship level as we talk about this strange development that happened, which of course has a happy ending or of some sort of a happy ending. Joining me right now on the west coast of the United States, he is the author and writer of OaklandRootsBlog.com. Mr. Jonathan Como joins me. Jonathan, good evening, and how are you? Doing very well, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. Very excited to talk about the Oakland Roots and this coaching situation we have. Absolutely. And now, of course, uh, it was your tweets uh, on Twitter that really caught my attention of uh, Mr. Juan Guerra, who uh, was the Oakland Roots head coach, uh, and then all of a sudden there's administrative leave tagged on him by the club. And through your reports... Apparently, he's been uh, sneak, being a sneak about talking to the Phoenix Rising Club to become their next head coach, even though he was under contract with Oakland Roots. How did this come about? Well, it kind of starts from where Eric came. He was the assistant coach for Phoenix Rising last season under Rick Shantz. Um And then this really escalated on Wednesday of last week when Rick Shantz was fired. And the next day, Juan Guerra was put on leave. So you can clearly see that the wheels were turning really quickly on this situation. Um, I was told that Juan was speaking to Phoenix without clearance from the club while under contract, and that led uh, to the situation as it unfolded. And then today, that the, all the announcements have came, and Juan is now officially the coach so the two sides were able to get past this without getting too sticky and messy so uh, it sounds like both sides are feeling happy about how it played out and at this moment in time mr noah delgado uh who is the interim head coach obviously from the coaching staff is taking over for the rest of the season i'm assuming if there are no other um candidates out there to take over Oakland Roots that Mr. Delgado will be the permanent head coach starting in 2023? Well, we'll see uh, who becomes the permanent coach. He is working under the interim tag right now. He is uh, the first assistant from the El Salvador national team under Hugo Perez. So he comes with some good pedigree to him. He was also on the coaching staff last season while Jordan Farrell was the head guy. Uh, Jordan Farrell is now the technical director. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, I think that they're going to want to explore all the options possible before determining, you know, Noah is the guy. But, you know, certainly we'll know more as the final nine games of the season plays out. Uh, But right now it's kind of hard to tell what direction they will go uh, in regards to Noah taking over the full-time job. But, of course, I would say right now he's in the pole position. You know, he's in a good opportunity to prove himself as a manager. I believe this is his first full-time manager job. He's been an assistant with, you know, El Salvador and Oakland Roots. So it's a good opportunity for him. We'll see how he does. He's a local guy, grew up 
nearby Oakland in Fremont, which is about 20 miles south. So, you know, we'll see how he does. Yep, we'll see how he does. I, I mean, is this strange to you to hear about uh, a current head coach for a club to have? I, I mean, I don't want to go too far in saying this, I guess, underhanded tactics to switch back to a club that he was previously a part of um, to have these discussions with basically a club that he was not under contract with. Yeah, it's definitely unusual. You know, we can look at leagues all over the world um, in similar situations. You know, what comes to mind is Carlo Carlos Ancelotti with Everton and, and how he was offered the job at Real Madrid during the season, uh, but chose to play out the season with Everton. You know, it, it's, of course, the highest of the highest of leagues there, but it's an example that usually coaches will play out the remainder of the season and focus on the now instead of already looking towards their future options. So, yeah, it was definitely unexpected. I definitely didn't expect it regardless of rumors that emerged. Uh, about a month before all this transpired, there was a report that said uh, Juan was among the targets for the job, but, you know, we're looking – look at the situation and say, you know, this is one, it's his first year coaching, it's his first manager job. I can't imagine that he jumps ship with only nine games left in the season in the middle of a playoff race. Uh, so, it, yeah, you know, you don't see this very often. Uh, you know, it, it was definitely strange to see. Um, what have you learned from the supporters of this whole situation? Obviously, when the news broke out, obviously, you know, you're, report you're reporting on it, you're writing on it. What were the responses from the supporters of Oakland Roots that, you know, either you understood where they came from or maybe you disagreed with? Oh, well, I I'm very close to many of the mm -hmm. time. They felt like, you know, uh, how one of them put it was a girlfriend breaking up with you unexpectedly. <laughs> one of them said, you know, imagine this is how it feels like to be cheated on. Uh, but, you know, I can definitely, you know, empathize with that, that, you know, Juan was very vocal with the supporters. You know, he would approach them after every game. We'd, we'd see each other at... Uh, team functions, like for example, when the Oakland Roots announced the Oakland Soul, their women's uh, team, that Juan was there speaking to the, the fans, and you know he's a very embracing guy. You know, a lot of hugs. <laughs> so, you know, to say this was unexpected is a is a bit undervalued. You know, you uh, I don't think anybody saw it coming. Um, so they definitely felt hurt, and to that point, you know, it's understandable. Uh, you know, can't say I disagree with them very much. I, at the same time, uh, for one, as a coach, I can understand that he wants to go to a, you know, Phoenix is considered the top of the top in the USL championship. He was just a coach there last season. So I could never fault a coach for wanting to do what he feel is right for him and his family. Uh, Cause I've been in the field, you know, I've been covering sports for a long time. 
So I, I can definitely see that from the perspective of a coach wanting uh, the best job for him. Uh, so, you know, I can see it from both sides. I definitely empathize with the supporters, and I can definitely see where Juan was coming from, even though it was, uh, as you would say, underhanded a bit. But, you know, I guess it is what it is. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the situation. But, uh, I mean, look, I mean, as you said already, Oakland Roots is already looking forward they didn't want to have a messy situation on their hands during the season. They didn't want any distractions for the club. Um, so what do you think the plans are now? Obviously, like you said, you know, at the moment, Noah Delgado is in pole position to maybe become the full-time uh, head coach of the club or, you know, there's a possibility of a coaching candidate. Uh, where do you really see Oakland Roots moving forward here uh, from this point on? now you know there's nine games left but they're four points out of a playoff spot uh and two games in hand on the seventh place team for a playoff spot so you got to focus on getting these wins they have a hard game coming up on wednesday against san diego loyal their second place in the usl championship western conference so you got to see how this plays out you know i wouldn't expect sweeping overhauling changes to the roster or system. I think you want to try and stick to what's working, um, identify your strengths and weaknesses, and just try to keep on facilitating until the end of the season. Um, where they go, I think, uh, let's use last season, for example, they didn't hire Juan Guerra until... December 30th, and they reached out to him on December 25th. So the the wheels really turned quick on that hire pretty far into the offseason already. I would think now you want to cast a wide net on your possible coaching options, who you're looking at, send out feelers, and get in the coach and make a decision on it far faster than Christmas Day because you want to give this guy, the next guy, enough time to plan the roster, identify who you want to keep, who you want to let go, and who you want to bring in because they worked under a short schedule last off season, and you want to avoid that this time. Um, you want to give the, the keys to the, to the new manager and really you know, work with him to figure out how this roster continues to make the playoffs and sustain success. Um, since Oakland Roots has been involved in the Oakland community and in the professional soccer ranks, obviously beginning in the uh, NISA League and now in USL Championship, have they been a positive influence in the Oakland sports community? Oh, they definitely have. I would say, you know, to reflect some of the words from the supporters that I know, it's they're, they're filling a void from the Oakland Raiders becoming the Las Vegas Raiders and the Golden State Warriors moving across the bay from you know Oakland to San Francisco, and Oakland the Oakland A's having their one foot in Las Vegas at the same time as trying to build a stadium in Oakland. You know the 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 sports culture landscape in Oakland has really left a lot of people in turmoil, you know, so the Roots have stepped in and voiced that they are committed to the community and upholding the values that 
the community holds true. You know, there's a lot of culture in this town, um, you know, really politically active, and they try and hold true to that. They're definitely not fronting on any regard. Uh, so now, you know, they you got to hold true to those values, and also they're trying to put product onto the field. So, yeah, I would say that the roots have been definitely a positive light, uh, just trying to build themselves in this community and trying to gain more notoriety because still a lot of people haven't heard of them. You know, it's uh, still a big town. There's still a lot to do in the Bay Area. So not everybody has discovered USL Championship level soccer just yet. Obviously, you know, the Roots have taken over the Raiders practice facility uh, for them to practice and train uh, for their upcoming matches in USL Championship. But out of curiosity, are there, is there any plans to build a future stadium uh, for themselves? I mean, obviously, probably where their current location is, it's very good and very accessible. But are, do you know of any plans of Oakland Roots building their own stadium uh, to no longer pay rent to uh, a body that, of course, they have to use that facility for? I definitely do know that. It is something they are eyeing. Um, I think all these teams and any Oakland fan would admit that it is difficult building a stadium in Oakland, but I do know for a fact that they are eyeing locations. It is in their future plans sometime down the road. It's hard to put a timeline on that, on when they want to build a stadium, but they definitely do want to get out of Laney. There has been some drawbacks playing over there, you know, they are second tenant in the school, so they they are really at the thumb of what the athletic director there wishes, but they definitely do want to build their own stadium for themselves. How that will look like, when it will be, it's hard to say, but they definitely do want to do that. Now, let me throw this out at you. If, let's just say for the heck of it, that uh, the A's do get their downtown stadium, which it sounds like it's close to being inevitable that it will happen, and Oakland Coliseum is no longer uh, viable, do you feel that it could be torn down and maybe rebuilt as a soccer stadium? Or maybe Oracle Arena is no longer around and they can build it over there because that whole area, I think, would be perfect to have uh, the Oakland Roots move into. And, you know, once... Uh, the Oakland Coliseum is no longer around, that they can actually build a proper soccer stadium over there. Yeah, you know, I think that's definitely one of their options that they would be examining. Uh, It definitely would be one of the more costlier because tearing down the stadium would, you know, might be just as expensive if more than building one. So I, I think that is one of the options they're looking at, but I know that they are looking at several different places uh, to where they could. I, I'm aware of one that's more closer to downtown, and who knows, uh, there might be space where the A's build to also have a, a stadium close by to them, but it would also require them purchasing land from some of these uh, companies that own the land in the surrounding areas. 
So anywhere they look is definitely going to be costly. I think the Coliseum site would be one of the more costlier, which would be a drawback for them. Um, but we'll see what it looks like in their five or ten year plan. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jonathan. I appreciate your time and have a good evening and good luck with the rest of the season with the Oakland Roots. Hey, thank you for having me on, Daniel. Really appreciate it. And that was Jonathan Como, uh, the uh, writer and the editor of OaklandRootsBlog.com, talking about this whole coaching situation with Mr. Guerra. And, uh, you know, is the contract worth the paper it's printed on? I really don't know. But, you know, unfortunately, underhanded things do happen in football whether we like it or not, um, Phoenix gets their head coach back, or I guess they get their guy that, they, that they've known. And it's just been really, really difficult to see something like this happen. Hopefully, uh, whether it is Mr. Delgado, that's going to be the, who's currently the interim head coach, will he get the job permanently, or will there be a coaching search for, the start, for uh, 2023? We won't know until that happens, but once again, it, it, it's a very, very tough thing to read about and to hear about, but all I can say is is that it's still underhanded, and I just don't like it. I just don't like what's been going on, so uh, we'll have to wait and see with that, about that news, and we'll have Jonathan Como on once we get uh, that update, so we'll see what happens. Now, Time to inform all of you on the 107 clubs attempting to qualify in the amateur divisions in the 2023 U.S. Open Cup. We already know that the Milwaukee Bavarian United, or Bavarian United, now based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, won the U.S. Adult Soccer Association Championship, so they automatically go to the tournament starting next year in March. And now, nine spots are available out of qualification. So we're going to have to wait and see what will happen, who will go, how it will happen. And it should be a lot of fun. Time to inform you of the 27 states that will be involved in Open Cup qualifying for the 2023 edition. Once again, 107 Open Division teams approved for entry into the qualifying rounds for 2023. And qualifying opening round will begin in September on the weekend of the 17th and the 18th of 2022 and once again second round will be October 15th and 16th third round November 19th and 20th final round fourth round of qualifying December 17th and 18th and both days are weekend days so this should be interesting and a lot of fun so here we go in Alabama one representative FC Birmingham from Fultondale, Alabama. In Arizona, four clubs from the United Premier Soccer League, the UPSL, Coronado Athletic Club out of Hereford, Arizona. 
FC Arizona out of Chandler, Olympians FC out of El Mirage, and from Nissa Nation, the U.S. Adult Soccer Association, SC Union Maricopa out of Gilbert. 21 sides from the state of California, from the UPSL, AS Los Angeles from L.A. proper, Davis Legacy SC from Davis, Desert FC from La Quinta, Elk Groves Blues from Elk Grove, Escondido FC from Escondido, Irvine FC from Irvine, Laguna United FC from Laguna Niguel, OC Kings FC out of Tustin, Orange County FC out of Mission Viejo, Rebels Soccer Club from Chula Vista, Trojans FC out of LA proper, from the Nissan Nation, the U.S. Adult Soccer Association, Capo FC out of San Juan Capistrano, from the San Francisco Soccer Football League, Inter San Francisco from San Fran, Southwest Premier League, L.A. Monsters out of Redondo Beach, Modesto City Football Club out of Modesto, Olympiacos, California out of Huntington Beach, Outbreak FC out of Long Beach, Temecula FC from Temecula, from the National Soccer League, representative of the United States Specialty Sports Association Soccer, Marin County Union SC from San Rafael, Real San Jose from San Jose, and finally from the West Coast Soccer Association, UC Davis Club Soccer. (coughs) Excuse me, Colorado has seven representatives. Af- uh, from the Colorado Super League, Athletic Club of Sloan's Lake, Azteca, and they're from Golden, Colorado, Azteca FC from Denver, Boulder United FC from Boulder, Colorado Rovers also from Golden, FC Denver from Denver, Harpo's FC from Longmount, and from the Mountain Premier League, Peak 11 Football Club from Broomfield, Colorado. One member from Connecticut, from the Connecticut Soccer League, Town Pride FC out of Sandy Hook. From Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. From the American Premier League, Agen Hawks FC. D.C. Premier League, D.C. FC, and Team Tevez, all from Washington, D.C. 19 representatives from the state of Florida, from the United Premier Soccer League, Clearwater Chargers SC, out of Clearwater, Doral SC, out of Doral, Florida Premier FC, out of Odessa, Florida Soccer Soldiers, out of Medley, Gainesville City FC, out of Ocala, from the International Soccer Association, out of Boca Raton, Juventus Academy, out of Miami, Naples City FC, out of Naples. O'Shea's FC, out of West Palm Beach. From the National Soccer League, City Soccer FC from West Palm Beach. Florida Brothers from Dania Beach. Hurricane FC from Boynton Beach. Miami Soccer Academy, Miami United FC, both out of Miami Beach. Naples United FC, out of Naples. West Palm Beach Academy out of West Palm Beach. Nissa Nation, Club de Leon out of Orlando. Deportivo Lake Mary FC out of Lake Mary. And finally, 
from the Central Florida Soccer League, Orlando FC Wolves from Longwood. Two representatives from Georgia, both from the United Premier Soccer League, Kalanji Pro Profile as Dakula and TCSA out of Alley. Now, let me just say this, and it's only my speculation. If this is the same Kalanji that I know from college, who played college soccer at Ramapo College of the New Jersey Athletic Conference in Division Three, might be him. Do not know. We will find out. Um, from Indiana, from the Ohio Valley Premier League, it is 1927 SC from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, also coming from Illinois, even though they're not listed from Illinois, they do play in his AC Chicago house, who is a part of NISA, so they are going into the party to qualify for the Open Cup. In Kentucky, United Premier Soccer League, Bowling Green FC out of Bowling Green, and Metro Louisville FC out of, of course, Louisville. Four representatives from the state of Massachusetts, from the UPSL, Boston Street FC out of Revere, U Nations FC from Worcester, from the Bay Street Soccer League, Brockton FC United out of Brockton, and from the Eastern Premier Soccer League, Ruggles Pro FC from Framingham. From Maryland, from the three representatives from the Maryland Super Soccer League, Christos FC, that same Christos out of Gambrills, Maryland. Steel Pulse FC out of Windsor Mill. And from the UPSL, Germantown City FC out of Gaithersburg. From North Carolina, two representatives. <coughs> Pardon me. Mint Hill FC from Mint Hill. And uh, Triang- Triangle Adult Soccer League, Tobacco Road FC out of Durham. One representative from New Hampshire, Santa Cruz FC from Nashua. Five representatives from the New Jersey. One, uh, two actually from the Garden State Soccer League, Jackson Lions from Toms River, and SC Vistula Garfield from Garfield, New Jersey. United Premier Soccer League is New Jersey Alliance FC out of Lindenhurst. Lindhurst, excuse me. From Eastern Premier Soccer League, Real Central New Jersey Soccer from Lawrenceville and Scott's American Athletic Club from Nutley. Representing New Mexico from the UPSL UDA Soccer out of Las Cruces. From Nevada out of Nissan Nation, Battleborn FC from Carson City. From New York, from the United Premier Soccer League, Oyster Bay United from Seacliff. Queensboro FC from the uh, FC2 from Queens near York College in the Jamaica neighborhood. Sahara Gunners FC out of Buffalo, New York. From the Eastern Premier Soccer League, we have Lansdowne Yonkers out of Yonkers. The New York Greek Americans from Astoria. The New York Pantipian Freedoms also out of Astoria. From Rochester District Soccer League. IASC Boom out of Rochester, and from the Cosmopolitan Soccer League, the Manhattan Kickers FC from Flushing. 
One representative from Ohio, from the Ohio Valley Premier League, Valhalla FC from Cincinnati. In Pennsylvania, eight representatives from the USL, from the United Soccer League of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia Crane Nationals out of North Wales, PA, United German Hungarians out of Ambler. I always have a problem pronouncing this name, but I'm going to give it a shot. Anyway, Vir Vereniging Erzgeberg from Warminster, Chester United SC from Chester Springs, and they just recently won the Fricker Cup Award uh, this year. Lancaster City FC from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. From the UPSL, Lancaster Elite, also from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The Philadelphia Lone Star from Philly. And out of the Eastern Premier Soccer League, Kensington Soccer Club, also from Philadelphia. One representative from South Carolina, South Carolina United Heat from Lexington. From Tennessee, from the UPSL, Beeman United FC from Nashville. From Texas, six representatives, United Premier Soccer League, Alamo City Soccer Club from San Antonio, Defeaters Kicks from DeSoto, FC Fort Worth from Fort Worth, from the, NA, from the National Soccer League, D10 Lions FC out of Spring, Galveston Pelicans FC out of Galveston, and Houston FC out of Pasadena in Texas. One representative from Virginia, Nova FC, that's Northern Virginia FC, out of Centerville, from the UPSL, Belleville Athletic FC, uh, if I can pronounce this correctly, I hope so, Snohomish, Washington, and from the Federal Way Men's Open Sunday League, Legend Football Gold from Lake Forest Park, Washington. And finally, of course, Wisconsin, is just, once again, this is a, I guess, a different club. We're not sure. It says Midwest Premier League, uh, Chicago House AC, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. We still believe this is, this is Chicago House AC from Division Three. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. But that is the entrance for qualifying for the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Once again, nine spots are available out of ten. Bavarian United has the first spot winning the U.S. Adult Soccer Association Championship, and they will advance automatically to the first round proper for 2023. It should be a fun four rounds of qualifying. It should be exciting to see these amateur clubs fighting for those nine spots. We have tons of fun here. We will select or I shall select the representatives of each region in the east, in the central, in the south, in the west. We will get to talk to those clubs that will be joining me uh, on the Monday 
before that weekend of the 17th and 18th of September to preview the opening round on that weekend of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. So it should be a lot of fun. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, on ESPN Plus on Tuesday night, September the 7th, it will be the 2022 Open Cup Final as Orlando City will host Sacramento Republic at Explore Stadium on that night. And it should be fun. Will it be Orlando City or will it be a a cup set final as Sacramento Republic will try and do the deed to find a way to win the U.S. Open Cup Championship. They are the first club in the lower levels since the Charleston Battery of 2008 to reach the final. They could be the second club from the lower divisions to win the Open Cup Championship since the 1999 Rochester Raging Rhinos, who are currently Rochester FC, Rock, excuse me, Rochester New York FC. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. But uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be exciting. And I personally cannot wait to get qualifying underway. It should be a fun time. And I hope we all are going to have a fun time during Open Cup qualification. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. Now time for the Red Bulls segment, ladies and gentlemen. The New York Red Bulls on the road midweek with a 2-1 victory over Atlanta United and a 1-1 draw at home to FC Cincinnati. First things first. Fantastic road performance at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Once again, the New York Red Bulls are undefeated against Atlanta United in the regular season. It is just an amazing run and an amazing time that this club has been dominant, dominant in the regular season against the Peach against the Peach State side that just does not know how to win in the regular season. Does not know how to secure three points against the Red Bulls. And when you think that Atlanta has a better side than the Red Bulls do, the Red Bulls come out of nowhere and they get their goals and they get their victory and they pull out the full three points. Or they're able to set, to basically get a point on the road or at home against Atlanta United. And of course, I have to say, the best goal or the best moments against Atlanta United down in Atlanta, Bradley Wright Phillips scored two big goals in the second half on an FS1 broadcast where Atlanta United took a 1-0 lead to open the scoring. They had a 2-0 lead until VAR came in and wiped out the goal because of a foul by Josef Martinez on a defender. And then a penalty 
awarded to the Red Bulls. Daniel Royer converts it to make it 1-1 late in this first half. And then big goals by Bradley Wright Phillips on brilliant crosses, finding a way to beat Brad Guzan and winning the match by a final of three goals to one. And then with another great match going back and forth, fourth and back, Atlanta scored to make it 1-0, Red Bulls make it 1-1, and then a Brian White goal to make it 2-1, and then 2-2, uh, by Josef Martinez, and then he does it again as uh, they get a penalty to make it 3-2. And just when you think Atlanta United was going to finally do the deed and get the full three points over the Red Bulls, Bradley Wright Phillips, in second-half stoppage time, finds a way to sneak in, cut across the defense, Gets a brilliant ball laid out on onto him on a platter and pulls out a point to make it 3-3 that sends every Atlanta United supporter crying. It was unbelievable to see how this club continues to have the luck and at times the better club, and at times the numerical advantage. We can't forget the home match where Tim Parker was shown a straight red on the back line and Tom Barlow coming in out of nowhere with a interesting header touch that it was able to trickle over the goal line past Brad Guzan for his first MLS goal. And Tom Barlow, of course, doing that job, finds a way for the Red Bulls to get the full three points. And great defense from Kamar Lawrence at Red Bull Arena. It's just been incredible to watch and to see what's been going on here. Lewis Morgan, his 11th goal of the season, team leading goal of the season. Um, Just a great cross from Kyle Duncan. It did deflect and redirected off of Christian Casares Jr. And it was in a perfect spot for Lewis Morgan to run onto that ball and smack it into the goal for a 1-0 lead. And then, of course, short corner between Morgan and John Tolkien. And Tolkien moved the ball up and then bent that ball that was meant to be crossed in. Patrick Lamala tried to play it. It was over his head. But it went into the back of the net, originally called offside. And, you know, you're thinking, oh, that's such a great goal. You know, Klamala never touched it. I mean, yeah, he attempted to play the ball. But I didn't think he, you know, because he didn't make contact with it. It was more passive possible. But he did play the ball, and the flag went up. And then VAR called in the referee, which was Ted Uncle. And they said to him, take a closer look at this. We think this will count. And the best angle I think that we all saw, that we all saw, was the camera behind the net. Patrick Lamala was kept onside by the back leg of the defender, the left leg of the defender, kept onside. And that, my friends, is just enough to say, you know what? 
That's a good goal. I agree with the call, and we're going to allow the goal to stand. And that's what happened. It corrected the offside flag. That should never have gone up. But then again, that's what VAR is there for. Because if the assistant did not see the left foot that kept Klamala onside, and VAR did its job. So congratulations to VAR once again, uh, who has been worked very, very well in MLS, and that we are actually happy to see that work and happen. And then, of course, late in the match, Joseph Martinez gets his uh, goal to make it 2-1. And that was the end of that. It was late in second half stoppage time. There wasn't enough time for Atlanta to get a late equalizer. And the New York Red Bulls take the full three points to win it by a final of two goals to one. Coming back home, first of all, welcome back to MLS, Matt Miazga. Uh, Sad to see that your time at Chelsea did not work. Uh, Hopefully you'll regain your form and uh, maybe you'll get another opportunity to go abroad. But for now, you are with FC Cincinnati. Uh, And of course, the Clifton, New Jersey native was able to get the first goal of the match on a free kick, and he was able to head it past Carlos Coronel. Then VAR comes into play again for the New York Rebels, and it was probably the strangest situation you've ever seen where Andreas Reyes was called for the foul. Called for a foul when... He was inside the area of Cincinnati, played the ball, then he gets kicked, but got called for the foul. And when you saw the replay of it, and I just said to myself, and I even typed it on Twitter, I tweeted and said, that's weird, because that looks like a foul on Cincinnati, and it's, you know, that, shouldn't have been a fa- that should not have been a foul on Reyes. VAR basically heard me and told Ishmael Elfath to come to the monitor and to tell him it's a foul, but it's not on the Red Bulls. So he went back to the monitor, saw the foul inside the Cincinnati area, pointed to the spot, penalty for the New York Red Bulls. Patrick Lamala who really desperately needed to score. He hasn't scored since May with four goals on the season. Converted his penalty right down the middle, got his fifth of the year, and boy, did he really need that. And even though it's disappointing they didn't get the full three points, see in this match, and what did we see in the last match as well against Atlanta? Daniel Edelman improving his play. Daniel Edelman having an amazing game, both on the pitch, attacking and defending. And if only, if only he converted that chance to make it 2-1 
in the second half, late in the second half, if he would have converted on that chance, the arena would have just been brought down. The roof would have fallen. This kid has proven himself to be a solid professional. professional, And I got to say it, I really think he has a bright future in this game. Whether he remains in MLS or goes abroad, we'll have to wait and see. But Daniel Edelman, he is a holder of an under-20 gold medal in the under-20 CONCACAF championship, qualifying for the under-20 World Cup next year and the Summer Olympic Games in 2024. And that, my friends, is going to be something really special. Cannot wait. And I hope that he will get that opportunity to play in the Olympics, as well as the under-20 World Cup, because that is going to be extra special. That will be extra special for him, and hopefully we'll see what happens in his future. But for now, he is a New York Red Bull player. And he still needs more time to develop with the Red Bulls before he does anything. But the future is bright for him. The future is bright for Daniel Edelman. Cannot wait to see him uh, go out there but and, and do some damage. But once again, once again, this has been a revelation. Everyone's enjoying the good stuff we're seeing from a kid like that. And before the match against FC Cincinnati, and even though he was not on the 20-man game roster, Serge Nagoma jogging around freely, no hamstring injury, no limping, no nothing. It was wonderful to see him during pregame on MSG Network, jogging around and hopefully getting back his fitness so that he'll be able to come back in with the Red Bulls and uh, play some more games before this regular season ends. I think Ngoma, another homegrown player, looking strong and solid. Love to see more of him. And if they ever get Omir So back from uh, his loan deal over in Iceland, wouldn't that be fun to see Nagoma and So up top and becoming a dangerous attacking side? Special folks. But we got to calm our enthusiasm down just a little bit and to make sure everything is going to go strong and smoothly. So we'll have to wait and see what will happen there. And we're going to have to wait and see what the situation will be. Outside of that, four points out of six this past week, and then they're going to take on this coming Saturday against Inter-Miami. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. And I personally cannot wait to get to that level when we do. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for tonight's show. I want to thank my guests tonight. Once again, Jason Longshore, 92.9 FM, the game in Atlanta, the Atlanta United radio analyst. 
and Mr. Johnson Como for OaklandRootsBlog.com, writer and editor on the coaching situation of the club. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. As always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long, and bye-bye for now.